That's it. How many fathers would we have in the house this morning? Let's stand. Come on. How many dads we got in the house this morning? Let me see you. Amen. We honor you. Amen. 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 We honor and bless you. We really, really do. Uh, like Pastor, um, uh, Pastor Bob has said, we have uh, uh, a treat for you out there on the table right outside of the doors there. Now, um, I don't want Northfield to be a place where we cause dissension between us and our wives, but you have a choice between uh, chocolate or a Slim Jim beef stick, you know, beef jerky, that kind of thing. Now, that's up to your family to whether or not you need to be sweetened up a little bit or not. So, anyway, I'll leave that up to you. Boy, Pastor Chuck just caused dissension in the house today. So, there you are. <laughs> no. Anyway, we have a free gift for you guys out there, and uh, we'd like for you to stop by and just pick that up. Dads, we honor you this morning. We, we, we praise God for you. We praise the Lord for you. Um, today, I want to give you some thoughts and some insight a little bit to the importance of the role of the father in his guidance and responsibility to the family. Um, I want to outline our central theme, though, and uh, in, in a continuing sermon series, if you will, in the book of Colossians. As you know, we've been embarking on that. Now, in order to do that, I probably have to go down I-75 and make a left at Toledo, but we'll get, we'll get to Colossians at some point in time <laughs> down the road. I really didn't want this sermon to be a, a sermon that I tried to, uh, you know, I try to make it something that it is not, because I don't believe in that. But I do believe that this has something to say to us fathers this morning and to the congregation as a whole. And so I'm just asking you guys to hang with me just a little bit, uh, just for the next few minutes. It is an honor and a privilege to be before you today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Somebody say amen on that one. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Dad, it's good to see dads raising their hands and giving God praise. It's not for somebody else to do it. It's for us to do it. It's for us, for our children to see us in the house of the Lord giving praise and glory to his holy name. Amen. Well, we've all heard quotations like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We also hear phrases like, like father, like son. But the question is, do those assumptions, do those convictions carry over into the spiritual life of our families? In 1994, there was Swiss researchers that carried out a five-year survey to determine the parents' effect upon their children, whether their personal religious beliefs and faith carried over to the next generation, and in this case, carried over to the children of the home. And if so, why? And if not, why not? And this study was carried across all evangelical denominations and fellowships, and they published their findings in the year 2000. And they discovered that there was one critical factor. It is the religious faith and practice of the father of the family that above all had the greatest influence upon the children's future attendance at or absent from the church. Surprising. I want to 
just, I don't mean this in a, in a sense of a disclaimer, but I want to I say something at this juncture. I want to talk to the single moms who are here this morning. We respect and we honor you. You do the very best that you can. But one thing you'll never be able to do is to speak a masculine voice into the life of your child. What should that say then? That should say to the men of this congregation at Northville Christian Assembly, walk across the aisleway and grab the arm or the hand of a young person and address them. I don't know why we are surprised that our kids are leaving the faith at 85% when they go to the secular college if we men are not willing to go out across an aisleway to put an arm around a young person and say, what's Jesus talking to you about today? I know that's strong. I know it's strong, but I believe it, guys. To put it plainly, the father serves in leading his family. The family will, in more cases than not, be shaped by his leadership. Well, Pastor Chuck, has it always been this way? Has the father of the family always been the major determining influence upon his family? Let me give you a biblical example. I want to go back to the very beginning at the first created family of Adam and Eve. And I have the scripture for you this morning, Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to be to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and I want to stop right there. Put on the break. If I stop this verse right there, absolutely nothing happened. That may come to a shock to some, I might get some bad emails, Gavin. I don't know, we'll see. Let me continue. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of just Adam were opened. Is that what that says? Mike, does it say only the eyes of Eve was opened? No. Then the eyes of both of them were opened when he ate. And they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I would prefer this morning, gentlemen, that Eve's eyes were not opened to the consequences of the enemy's deception until Adam ate. Because he partook of the forbidden fruit, we read that not only Adam and Eve's relationship with God was affected, instead of running to meet God, they hid from him. Their marriage was affected. They are now separated by clothing. His home, the Garden of Eden, was affected because Adam shifted from tending the garden to toiling by the sweat of his brow. And finally, his own children, the next generation, was affected because Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel when Adam ate. Let me give you a side note this morning. Christ is described as the second Adam and not the second Eve. Is he not? Fathers who are here this morning, this is not a sermon that I built, the Holy Spirit brought into my heart to beat us up. But I want you to take it a different route. I want to stress and value the importance of your role in the home. Fathers find out quickly the best way to teach their children is by setting an example for them. 
our kids are watching us. Amen. There's a leadership expert that I like. John Maxwell says it this way. We may teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. Amen. Today, more than ever, fathers who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, we must possess a balanced biblical viewpoint as we lead and teach our families. We avoid being too liberal in our directing and avoiding being too legalistic in imparting the faith journey to our families. This unbalanced perception of legalism is what leads us into my Colossians text this morning that God has for us. The title of my message today is Jesus, What More Do We Need? Catchy title, huh? <laughs> Let's look at the word in Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were in the morgue, I mean in, in dead in their trespasses, everybody got that, right? You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiving us all our trespasses. I just had church right there. I just had a praise right there. Having forgiving us all our trespasses. Hallelujah. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he, Jesus, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I say to this congregation, Jesus, what more do you need? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word, Lord, that you're going to bring forth to feed the flock here this morning, to feed our hearts. May we leave this place not as we came, but Lord, let us leave here full of the word of God. Strengthen, Lord, for the next day, for this week, for this coming season of life. God, I pray, Lord, that, that right now, God, the Holy Spirit will take over this service, take over the words that I might say this morning, get Pastor Chuck out of the way. But, oh, God, you speak to us this morning. And, Lord, speak to us from the word, I pray. And I just give you thanks in advance, God, for what I know you're going to do in this service. In Jesus' precious name. Would somebody say amen with your buddy up here? Amen. Amen. I want to point out just for the next few minutes some of the false teaching that threatened the Colossian churches. Pastor Pierre did a great job last week. I'm just calling it like I see it. Amen. He did a great job last week. He really did. He pointed out last Sunday, if you remember, that, that some of the false teaching was made up of several elements. There was astrology, philosophy, and mainly it was Jewish legalism that we're talking about. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's the G Jewish legalism element that Paul is dealing with right here. And the false teachers insisted that Christian converts submit to circumcision and continue to obey, obey parts of the Old 
Testament ceremonial laws. And similarly, there was teachers that Paul confronted in his letter to the Galatians that insisted that circumcision and obedience to the law were necessary for salvation. If they were circumcised, if they watched their diets, if they observed their holy days, then they would become part of the spiritual elite in the church. Can anybody hear the arrogance in what I just said? And can, you, can you observe the pharisaical mindset there? That's what legalism does. It always elevates the individual in believing that they're doing so much more than his or her fellow believer. Let me make it clear to this church this morning, and I believe I can say this with all my heart, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's it. Paul makes it very clear in his writing in Scripture that the body of Christ is not subject in any way to the Old Testament ceremonial legal system, nor can it do him or her any good spiritually. Fathers who are here this morning, hear your friend up here. Please teach your children that Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for every spiritual need for all of God's fullness is found in him. To Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ alone light, strength, and joy are obtained. It's in Christ alone all of our fears are stilled and our strivings cease. It's in Christ alone the wrath of God was satisfied and the sins of the whole world were forgiven. It's in Christ alone that the free gift of salvation is found. I repeat, Jesus, what else do you need? I'd like to take a moment here with you and make an effort to identify what I believe is some of the differences between liberalism and legalism. I think they're the two bookends of what we're talking about today. Perhaps I'll give you a little bit of what the, I think is the balance between the two. Liberalism thoughts. Let me say it this way. Liberalism, I believe, is at one end of the spectrum, and liberalism always takes away, takes away from the written Word of God. Liberalism often lectures and promotes individual rights instead of biblical responsibility. Amen. Opinions and beliefs like, I have a right to have a same-sex marriage, be whatever sex I want to be, abort my baby if I want to, and live the lifestyle of my choice. It always emphasizes and chooses the importance of personal decision and the experience over biblical or scriptural authority. But the real truth is extreme liberalism will always fail biblical responsibility and will always violate the commandments of an almighty God. When scriptures state that a particular act or deed is a sin and an abomination of God, liberalism states, well, that's not applicable for today's times. And in their self-centeredness, they violate God's commands. Beloved, we serve an eternal God whose commandments are eternal and are never out of date in any age or any season. They're still true today. He never changes, and the Word of God never changes because it doesn't have to because it's right and it's perfect in all of its ways. Can I get an amen on that one? 
You may know the story of Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States. He took razor and glue, and Jefferson cut and pasted his arrangement of selected verses from the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in a chronological order. And he put together excerpts from one text with those of another to create a, a single narrative. But his primary target or aim was the elimination of all of the biblical texts that established the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was and is God. Let me make it clear this morning, Jesus is God. Amen. He didn't believe this was true, so he decided, Mark, to write his own. He just put it all together, you know, let's do it that way. And I know as a congregation, we might say, well, that's, that's really absurd. That, that's really absurd. Really? But what's so different today? The spirit of liberalism makes an effort to connect with the parts of the Bible that they can live with, but they renounce and reject the commands that require change and humble obedience of the word. They just don't cut and paste. They just don't do. Fathers, make no mistake, we must accept the whole counsel of God that we have received from his living word. Can I get an amen on that one? Well, let me return to the other extreme. I want to talk about legalism. Legalism, I believe, is found at the other end of that spectrum, and it always adds to the written word of God. Liberalism takes away. Legalism always adds, if you will. Again, this is what Apostle Paul is dealing with in the, in the Colossian text this morning that we're talking about. When the Bible calls a particular act or deed a sin an abomination of God, legalism says, well, if that's God's basic tenet of righteousness, then this added writing or the added charge will make it better. For example, in Leviticus 27:30, the tithes that was brought to the tabernacle, the offering, that offering was holy to the Lord. But the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament added to that commandment by tithing of their mint and their dill and their cumin and all their spices and all the things like that, something that God did not ask for. Jesus on this occasion scolded the scribes and Pharisees because they majored on that, but they minored on justice, mercy, and faithfulness. What are you saying, Pastor Chuck? They were majoring on the minor and minoring on the major. Jesus said, you can do that, but you lost this. You lost mercy and justice and kindness. You lost all of that. Quoting a fellow pastor, legalism flows from a failure to be humbled and broken and amazed and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. May I ask you this morning, are we satisfied with Jesus? What else do you need? What else do you need? Let me illustrate in a little kind of a neat story this morning in giving of God's law. The story about two young boys that paid a visit to their uncle and going to play in the backyard. So there's a backyard here. The uncle said to his nephews, you can play anywhere in the yard that you want to play, but don't ever go over that wall at the back of the yard. So what do you think the boys did? <laughs> as soon as the uncle went in the house, the two of them went over that forbidden wall that uncle told them not to go over. 
Well, what greeted him on the other side was a 2,000-pound bull that did not appreciate his space being invaded. <laughs> the boys, in horror, they scrambled back over that wall only to meet their uncle face to face. The uncle stated this. He said, I did not ask you not to go over that wall to be a killjoy, but it was all about keeping you safe. That's what it was about. You see, what was given to us as the Ten Commandments that was God's yard. That was God's safety fence, you know, to keep us from harm. And Paul called these additions to the original word of God as a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. See, what happened here is, is that it wound up being uh, uh, 613 laws is what they added to this. Six hundred and thirteen laws that they added to the original ten. Guess what? You no longer had a backyard, you had a prison house. That's exactly what you had because you kept adding fence to fence to fence to fence. Fathers, let's be careful that we don't present a legalistic gospel to our family that is a yoke that is unbearable. That's what I'm trying to keep us from today. Ephesians 6, 4, you guys know it. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Look at that phrase right there. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are given a positive command to bring up your children, not expose them to cruel or abusive behavior or even blatant favoritism. We're to bring them up. Psalm 127, 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. See, our kids are a gift of God given to us to care for and to raise into the admonition of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Would you agree with that, guys? Is that okay? Well, where liberalism and legalism is wrong, that it, it removes Christ from his rightful place of preeminence and greatness. That's where both of them are wrong. Pastor Chuck, what's the balance? I think the balance is literalism. Biblical literalists believe that the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, I don't care for anybody that wants to eliminate the Old Testament. I, don't do that. Don't do that. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 said all scriptures are given by inspiration. Amen? Are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man the infallible. That means there's nothing wrong with it. The authoritative rule of faith and conduct. Folks, unless a passage is clearly intended by the writer as allegory or poetry or some other genre, the Bible should be interpreted as literal statements by the author. Fathers, let's do this. Let's let the Word of God speak for itself and construct a defense against changing it in what we or the world desires it to say. Don't do that. Let it speak for itself. I know, Dan, you've been with us in, in, in a Wednesday night class, buddy. How often do you hear me say, that's what it says? We just read it for what it is. Mark, you've heard me say that. I don't think you have to change it to make it say what you want it to say. Let it say for what it says for itself. It's perfect in all of its ways. Colossians 2.11. Let's get back into Colossians here a little bit. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
Folks, what was an identification in the flesh has now been an identification in the spirit. What once was done in the flesh has now been accomplished in the spirit. I got great news for you this morning, folks. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, he won a complete and final victory over sin. The old nature, the sins of the flesh was put off. What do I mean by that? They were rendered inoperative so that we no longer have to be enslaved to its desires. The old sinful nature has not been eradicated for we are able through our free will to sin. But let me clue you in. The power of sin that once ruled and reigned over us has been broken as we continually yield to Jesus Christ and daily walk in the power of the Spirit. It doesn't have room to rule over you anymore because we've made Jesus Christ the authority of our lives. God has marked us, separated us, sanctified us, and redeemed us as his own. So when the enemy brings up your past, you remind him of your present. We are a forgiven people. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. How many know without faith it's impossible to please God? Amen. The powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, for having forgiven us all our trespasses. Praise God. Paul uses the illustration here of baptism, keeping in mind that the New Testament, that the word baptize has a literal and figurative meaning. The literal meaning of baptism is to dip or to immerse. The figurative meaning of baptism is to be identified with. This is the baptism word that Paul uses here is in a figurative sense in this section of this letter. For no, How many know that no amount of water could bury a person with Christ or make him alive in Christ? Let me tell you about water baptism. I don't get water baptized to be saved. I get water baptized because I am saved. It's an act of obedience. That's what it is. Because Jesus, what else do you need? Him alone. So when a person asks for forgiveness and makes Jesus Lord of their lives, they're immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Do we need a scripture on that? Yes, we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for in one, what? Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's a capital S, by the way. That's a, that denotes a proper name, right? Spirit. We are all baptized into one body. Whose body? His body, right? Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free. We are identified with the head, Jesus Christ. We are called Christians because we say and do as Christ would say and do. We are in him and he is in us. That's very plain. So this identification means whatever happened to Christ also happened to us. What are you saying, Pastor Chuck? Well, when he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose again, we arose with him. Guess what, folks? We left the grave clothes of the old life behind, and now we're robed in his righteousness and have the promise of eternal life. Amen. 
Hallelujah. So the practical application is clear. Since we're identified with Jesus Christ and he's the fullness of God, what more do we need? We don't add and we don't take away. We have a perfect standing before Almighty God because God has forgiven us all our trespasses. All our trespasses. Colossians 2.14 By canceling the record of debt, oh, praise God, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus not only took our sins to the cross, but he also took the ceremonial part of the law that they're trying to introduce here to the cross. And he nailed it there forever out of the way. 1 Peter 2.24 But he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you believe that verse of scripture, guys? That's real, ain't it? The ceremonial law was certainly against us because it became impossible. We read this earlier, to meet its holy demands. But when Jesus shed his blood for sinners, Christ canceled the huge debt that was against us because of our disobedience to God's holy law that nobody could, nobody could fulfill. There's a picture here. I want to I I tell you about this. In biblical times, listen well, financial records that were often kept on what we call parchment, and the particular ink that they used on that parchment to record the debt, to record what was owed, could be washed off when the, when the debt was paid or what was owed was paid and it was fully redeemed. This is a picture of what Paul is painting for us to see when he uses the word canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Jesus wiped the slate clean. I don't want to be brutal in my language this morning, but I feel in my heart I want to say this, and it's not part of my notes. And if I'm out of line, you please, please forgive me. But I say, stand here today. I want to tell somebody, either online or in this congregation, I don't care if you had a drugged out daddy or you had an alcoholic mom. I don't care if your family was abusers or if they're users. I got news for you that I don't care what your past has been, Jesus Christ has washed you whiter than snow. He has emptied the slate. You do not have to be a part of that anymore. <laughs> Praise God. Isaiah 1.18 said, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. Why? Because it's the blood that washes off the debt. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why? Because it's the blood that washed off my debt. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 
praise his holy name. What can wash away my sins? There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. I say it's Christ, and what else do we need? In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I asked James earlier this week, him and I had a conversation. Pastor James, I said, I, I know the Lord's laid on your heart what to sing. I said, what, what are we singing? And he'd already had that song put in his, his list. Didn't even know it. I said, well, it's in the sermon. I'm just telling you where it's at. <laughs> Amen. So if you guys are thinking that's a coincidence, well, it's a God thing. There you go. I'm giving you that. God himself paid a debt that we could never pay. Can't pay it. When he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross, he himself washed off the legal demands in his own blood. And my slate is clean. I declare to you, we are free. You're free. You're free. What more do we need? Let me move on. Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus not only dealt with sin and the ceremonial law on the cross, but he also dealt with Satan. Jesus shamed our accuser. He shamed him. Speaking about his crucifixion, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world now shall the prince of this world be cast out if jesus said that dan I, that's right that's got to be right right the death of christ on the cross looked like a great victory for satan but it turned out to be a great defeat from which satan will never recover he'll never recover jesus had three great victories on the cross first of all he disarmed the powers and authority he stripped Satan and his army of whatever weapons that they held against us. And secondly, Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy, exposing Satan's deceit and his evilness. And number three, his third victory is found in the word triumph. My Jesus won a complete victory, and he returned to glory in a great triumphal procession and in this he disgraced and he defeated satan and i got good news for you this morning saints jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the father and he'll be there for eternity in jesus name fathers who love jesus we get to share in that victory over the devil we claim victory of christ over our families over our marriages over our homes over our vocations we use the armor of god that he has provided for us God has entrusted us to provide and impart to our families the same blessings that we have received from him. Would you agree with that? Amen. Pastor Chuck, what do, you, what do you mean by that? If we are cruel, our family will believe that God is cruel. If we exhibit an uncaring attitude toward our family, our family will think that God doesn't care. If we treat our family as a burden and not a blessing, 
will our children think that they're a burden to God and not a blessing? I don't want that to happen. Neil Kennedy says it this way, if you do not give your children a vision to pursue, the world will give them a fantasy to chase. You believe that this morning? Neil Kennedy is a great men's ministry leader that I, I follow. Great statement. God has shared his secret title. Don't we, don't we say our father? Don't we say that, right? We use that. He, he shared his secret title with us to lead us in a way we should treat and love our family. You see, when we say father in our reference to God, it proves that he's not just some theological system, but a perfect father that you and I can have a personal relationship with. It is our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Amen. Second Corinthians. Um, no, let me go back. Let me go back. I want to tell you this morning, you can trust God. He's trustworthy. We are free from the power and authority of the enemy. I think I've proven that by the scriptures today. We are now under the power and authority of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to be. What a wonderful position and provision that we have as fathers and leaders in Christ. I would only say to you, lead your family well. It's Jesus. What else do we need? Pastor James, would you come, buddy? Lord Jesus, today I pray for our congregation this morning. I pray for our fathers this morning. But Lord, we won't fall into liberalism, but we will not fall into legalism. But Lord, bring us to the balance that we as fathers need to have to lead our families well. God, I want to give you praise right now for setting us free, for giving us all our trespasses. You wipe the slate clean. There's nothing there. The accuser lies to us, and tries to tell us, remember when. But Jesus has wiped the slate clean with his own blood. Oh, God, we are grateful. We are so grateful. But, Lord, I pray this morning that there, if there's one online or one among us this day that is struggling, Lord, with the past, I pray right now in the name of Jesus you'll set them free because they are free. The blood of Jesus Christ has paid the debt. They are free. God, I pray this morning if there's one among us that has never met Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, Lord, I pray right now that they will receive you as Lord and Savior and truly repent and follow you the rest of the days of their lives. God, I thank you for the time we've had this together on this great Father's Day. I thank you for the fathers and all of our congregation that are here. And I ask that your blessings be upon each and every one. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. I don't know. I don't know any other way to go right now other than the fact just to tell you that if you want prayer this morning for any of the things that we talked about today, I serve a Jesus can set you free because <laughs> he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'd like to have a, a final prayer with you before letting you go home today, but I want to let you know that Pastor Chuck and our pastors will be available to pray this morning because I don't want you to go home like you came. I want you to leave empowered, forgiven, understanding that Jesus has set you free. That's what I want. And so, congregation, I'm just going to ask you to stand for a final word of prayer. I love you. I thank you for this privilege that we had to be before you today. I pray you got something out of the message today that you can feast upon for days and weeks to come. I pray that happened for us this morning. Thank you for being with us on this Father's Day. All of our guests and all, all of the ones that joined us today, thank you for being here with us today. God, I pray, Lord, right now that for this Father's Day, Lord, you keep everyone safe. Let all of the families that are getting together for this special day to honor Dad. God, you would keep all of it safe, Lord, under your care and your provision. Lord, may the fellowship be sweet, O oh God. Lord, may your presence be in the middle of all of the families this morning. All the families throughout the day, Lord, may they sense and feel the Father's presence, Lord, be among them. And Lord, we pray for a special touch for each and every family. Keep them safe, Lord, throughout this week. Again, Father, we pray for Kim, Lord, and Pastor Nate. We pray for little Hudson this morning, God. Lord, may there be a breakthrough, Lord. In, in both of those situations, God, we pray because, you, God, you're good. By your stripes, we are healed. And, Lord, we love you with all of our hearts, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Boy, it's been great to be with you this morning. Amen.